The Teachers College at Emporia State University presents How We Teach This. Welcome to How We Teach This. Today's guest, we have Karen Long, who is part of the class of 2023 with the National Teachers Hall of Fame. And Cameron, if you would please, would you introduce yourself a little bit and tell us about your background in teaching and maybe even why it is you became a teacher? Sure. So I've been a teacher starting my 35th year this fall and started in Charlotte, North Carolina, teaching 16 years there, mainly elementary. Had some amazing opportunities through the Presidential Awards and Excellence in Math and Science Teaching and the Albert Einstein Fellowship to investigate what education was like on the federal level. Worked as a fellow for NASA Education for a year, came back to Charlotte and headed 90 elementary schools for their science education, which was falling apart at the time from a superintendent who didn't believe in hands-on science. Imagine that. And at that time, NASA called me and asked me to come and work for them. So it was kismet. And it gave me an opportunity to come and really feed my inner geek while I worked for NASA for a year. Actually, I ended up being there for 13 years. And I headed their national distance learning program. We had teachers in studios at all 10 NASA centers, and we developed lesson plans based on NASA missions and research and connected it all to STEM, taught students all over the world. Oh, and then at the end of that program, I moved to Florida and taught elementary science and math. And now I'm at Montbird Academy, where I am the director of educational technology and innovation. Oh, well, that's so exciting. I love the opportunity, especially to connect authentic environments like NASA with uh, the classroom. That's super cool. (laughs) What would you say was your favorite part of doing that work with NASA related to education? Now, I've known that I've always wanted to do something with teaching and with NASA since I was little. When I was a fourth grader, my my fourth grade teacher assigned me the traditional build a solar system project. And for extra credit, she asked us to write our senator to see if we would get a response and any information back. Well, I grew up in Ohio. And at the time, our senator was Senator John Glenn. And John Glenn, as most of you know, was the first American man to orbit the Earth. And he eventually became center of Ohio, and he was kind enough to send a nine-year-old a huge packet of NASA material. Oh, it just absolutely engaged me immediately to have the chance to work there and see things years in advance before the general public. For example, I got to see VR uh, before VR was a thing. I got to see the Orion capsule, which is now part of the Artemis mission. That's the capsule that are going to, it's going to carry the astronauts. Oh. We actually tested it at the center I was at, at NASA Langley. So I got to see those tests. I got to see all these amazing inventions and innovations that no one else in the general public got to see. And then I got to explain how important the science and the engineering and the mathematics was to kids to develop these things to kids all over the world. And on top of that, work with these incredible professionals that 
uh, had chosen to leave their regular classroom and also do what I do. Um, we had a fabulous team of teachers and the program served metric-wise over 1.3 million students uh, from all over the world in our time that we had our program. And we trained countless numbers of teachers and it was incredibly gratifying. Oh, that is so cool. Thinking back to your traditional classroom then. Yes. What would you describe as a typical day in your classroom? You mentioned the importance of effective planning and organization. But what does that day look like? Well, it starts early for me, you know, and, and everybody's different. So what I say doesn't apply to everybody, of course. But for me, I like to get in at least 30 minutes in advance. Look at my lesson plans that I had worked on. I usually work out at least two to three weeks in advance, knowing that things are going to change. <laughs> but I do like to have the groundwork done and uh, set up my classroom for the different periods, uh, be able to switch things up because teaching elementary science in particular and having multiple periods during the day in different classes, I needed to have some quick transitions and setups. And so I had to know what those were like. Check my emails. Make sure I have answered concerns from parents, um, from other students. And then go grab a cup of hot tea and mellow out before kids arrive. And then to have fun with it all day. To know that I was there to educate the students. But they had to see my love for the subject so that they could foster their own love for it. And make myself available to those kids when they had problems of content as well as problems or concerns outside of the class. Uh, because the first, to me, the first thing that a teacher needs to know how to do is to make a connection. And in order to make that connection happen, you have to make yourself available to those kids and be that listening ear. You need to be able to provide yourself personally to those kids and provide the materials and the resources need not just within the curriculum, but outside of the classroom. So the day doesn't end at 3.45 or 4. Mm -hmm. You know, there's time spent after tutoring. Um, there's also time spent after grading papers. And then to carve out some personal time that when I leave for the day to make sure that I have time for my family, which is my two boys and uh, my boyfriend currently, and then to take a look right before I go to bed to make sure I have everything ready for the next day. That sounds great. Thank you. What are some examples of inquiry and cooperative learning that you've implemented in your classroom? Inquiry learning is really all about being the guide on the side and not the stage on the stage. You know, that's a very popular saying in, in inquiry theory. And being able to ask a variety of levels of questions from the most basic of questions, you know, what is the definite thing to an application question? How do you apply that particular concept in a real world situation? And by asking those questions, get the information out of the kids in two different levels. Number one, you've got to get their misconceptions uh, because they all come in with misconceptions. They all come in with prior learning. Kindergarten student 
learns things from home and it's going to come in with information, whether it's a misconception that's correct, all the way through when you get to be that senior level or even college level. And so you've got to catch those misconceptions early. Questioning helps us do that, right? We're asking them questions and they're giving an answer back that we know isn't right quite along the line of where we want to see the concept go. We're going to ask them another line of questions to lead them to the correct answer. And by doing that, it helps to do a couple of things. Number one, it embeds the information in their brain mm-hmm. a lot more deeply than if you just told them what the answer was. Mm-hmm. And then the second is that it also makes it relevant because they have to struggle to find the answer. For my classroom, there is a lot of question asking. In the beginning of my lesson, I use a 5E lesson plan, you know, engage, explore, explain, expand, evaluate, right? Uh, that was developed by BSCS um, and Roger Bibby, um, who was the theorist that created the BSCS program in uh, Colorado Springs, I believe. He stated that you pull their attention in to a lesson initially by engaging them in something that was eye-catching. And then you explore the concept by getting your hands on it, by playing around with it, by the instructor asking more questions as she or he goes around to see what's being done. And then you explain. You attach the vocabulary to what they have their hands on. So they struggled a bit first, and now they're going to hear, oh, well, this explains weathering. Um, what you're observing is erosion. Look at the differences between weathering and erosion, for example. And then expansion is when you might be the next day. It may not be that same lesson, but they have another lesson where it expands on that particular topic for the day. And you're not doing so much of the explaining anymore. They're using the concepts during that expansion phase and attaching to the vocabulary. And then you've got the evaluation tests, uh, informal or formal, formative, summative. That's how I pretty much ran my classroom. Now, as far as the cooperative learning process goes, for those that teach science or no science, science is not done in a vacuum. Science is done teamwork. And I adhere mainly to the Kagan cooperative theories where you had heterogeneous grouping. Mm -hmm. Um, You were very purposeful in that heterogeneous grouping where you had those that struggled as well as those that did not struggle within teams. And then those teams worked together in order to solve different problems. But each member also had a specific job to do. So somebody might be reading instructions, for example. Somebody might go get the materials. Somebody else might actually do the steps of the experiment and the steps of the experiment were altered in between each one or members of the team. But I, I like to call my classrooms controlled chaos. <laughs> uh, you know, when you walk in, there's lots of noise, lots of movement, lots of activity, but those kids knew what they were supposed to do. And to me, that freedom actually gave them a sense of ownership in what they were doing. And by doing that, it gave them the buy-in to do it well. And so that's pretty much how I ran my classrooms every day. That sounds great. And for our listening audience, I'll provide a link to some resources about the five E's of the instructional model. 
and the taken cooperating strategies that you mentioned. So check out our website if you'd like more information on that. You've also shared with me that you have some concerns about the future of education. And some of that is because of policies that have impacted you in the past and you and your for you and your classroom. How would you describe that? Well, in 35 years, obviously, there's going to be changes. I've seen changes in technology. I started off teaching chalkboard. <laughs> now I'm teaching a smartboard. But I have seen draft changes in education policy that I think is extremely detrimental to our profession. We are seeing overall teacher shortages. And I see those teacher shortages due to a variety of reasons. The most important is the attacks on our profession, not only by the general public because of social media. And and I'm an ed tech person. I love technology. I have no qualms against it. However, I think we've become a society that has become complacent in finding uh, accurate information. And it's easy to go to social media and read an opinion that sounds like truth. And take it as true without doing the background on it. And so general attacks from public folks have been harsh on the education profession. Attacks from politicians that are polarizing people have been incredibly detrimental. And I actually believe wholeheartedly that uh, back in the 90s, when uh, President George W. Bush enacted the No Child Left Behind Act to increase testing solely in mathematics and reading, that that was the beginning of where the biggest kits came to our profession. Standardized testing is a one method way to measure how a child has done in the classroom. It's one day sometimes two or three, that is supposed to measure the entire length of the learning experience for you. What they don't see is kids come to school every day affected by different factors. I've taught in Title I schools where the students have gotten themselves up out of bed, gotten themselves ready, eaten their own breakfast when it's available, take care of their family dog. No adult is in the house because the adults are working two, three, four jobs in order to make sure that there is material at home to help their family survive. And those kids are little adults. They're impacted by that. I've seen kids who come to school where their parents have argued or where their mother or father is terminally ill or they just have an argument with their friend on the bus. I mean, all of these things impact how a child does during the school day. And they are going to impact results in these scores. I've often told legislators, if you feel sick and you go to a doctor and the doctor does one test for you and then comes back and says, now you have terminal cancer based on this blood test. Are you going to be satisfied with that one test telling you that you have terminal cancer. Of course not. Right. You were going to insist on a variety of tests, right? Yes. To give a clearer picture. That needs to be implemented within a school setting. 
And you have to look not just at standardized testing, but you have to look at how the grades have been dropped. We need to look at portfolios. And portfolios, to me, authentic work tells more about how a student has grown than a one-day test. Standardized tests, yes, have some measure of accuracy, but a standardized test does not tell the whole story. And, you know, personally, I, I'm on this bandwagon because I'm one of those kids that face that. My highest SAT score was an 880. But I have a doctorate. Mm-hmm. And my doctorate degree was a 4.0. <laughs> Clearly, that 880 SAT did not tell my story. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think that has done a, a, an injustice, particularly when it was in its height and science and social studies and the arts and PE were all thrown to the wayside and reading and math were the only things that counted. We did a lot of harm to our country by not properly teaching that science, that history. And now we're seeing an attack on history again with some uh, politicians who believe that we are influencing students' thought by teaching proper history. We're not. We don't have time for that. (laughs) But teaching the truth about what has happened in our history is important so that we don't repeat bad history. I think those are constant attacks on our profession now, and I think it feeds into our teacher shortage. I encourage folks that want to go into teaching to look at it for their personal reasons of why they want to do it. Anything that they feel passionate about, they're always going to have some kickback. It's how important it is to you. Um, As my father once said, you're going to do this for 30 years of your life. You better be happy in what you're doing for those 30 years. And God bless him. He knew exactly what he was talking about. I love what I'm doing, but it makes me so sad to see what's happening now in our profession. And I'm hoping, you know, back in COVID, we were all, (laughs) I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you're engaging these students right now with everything Mm -hmm. that you're doing and dealing with at home and how quickly we forget, right? So I'm really hoping that it gets back to the respect level that it needs and and a variety of different things need to happen. It's kind of like you read my mind and you answered the next question already because I was wanting to know, do you have any specific advice for someone who's thinking about going into education as a career? Yeah, yeah, you have to love it. And whether you decide to go to education or engineering or nursing or doctor or auto mechanic, you have to love your career. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is a career, right? Uh, So that base level of Really wanting to know everything you can about your profession is key. Mm -hmm. It's going to be ongoing professional development. You know, and you see all the teacher memes out there about, oh, great, another professional development meeting and the eyes rolling and the keys jangling during (laughs) staff meetings. But you need to look at those as growth opportunities. And not everything's going to hit right. And you are going to be given professional development that is where you're voluntold that you're going to put put it into practice. Give it a fair shot if it doesn't work. Write down the reasons why it doesn't work. 
and present that professionally to administration. There's nothing wrong with that. Then, you know, the self-education, I think, is key. I do not think a bachelor's degree is enough. I think you need to at least go for your master's. Do you need to go for a doctorate necessarily? I think a doctoral degree is great if you want it. Again, there has to be a purpose behind it. It mm-hmm. certainly isn't because you're going to get a pay raise. <laughs> this profession does not do that with doctoral degrees. It does it on on some areas, administration, yes. But as the teacher where I'm at, I got my doctorate because I wanted to get it. Mm-hmm. I think a master's degree is, is at a minimum. I think a master's degree shows some professionalism. And it also gives greater insight because I also believe that colleges need to revamp their program, particularly for elementary teachers, to make them stronger and more capable in the classroom when they leave. Because for elementary teachers that teach everything, there really is not enough training in all of the subjects for when they get put in front of those 30 or 32 kids on for the first time. That's good. That's very true. I remember when I went to my first training on Kagan and they mandated that we were going to use these strategies in our classroom. I'm like, oh, one more new thing to learn. And just like you said, you got to give it a fair shake. Yeah. Because once you actually get past that, oh, you got to try something new with your students and you get into the flow of it, those are really effective. And It allows you that common language to speak with your students to say, okay, this is what we're going to do. And then they just know. And you don't have to reteach those expectations once they've they've learned what it is you're asking them to do. And you can focus on the content more. Right. And and those bandwagons will roll throughout your career, right? Yes. The The districts will pull in the newest, greatest, latest thing and buy it. Mm-hmm. without doing a lot of the proper research for some of it, not all of it, but for some of it, and there will be disappointments. Just expect that. There are going to be some disappointments, but there are going to be some that come through where you're like, yes, this is finally something that I need for my classroom. This is something that I needed to learn. And that's the purpose of professional development. It's that expansion of that college experience in order for you to kind of find your place and the tools that you need in your classroom in order to be effective. That's so true. So I know you have a new position coming up this next school year. Mm -hmm. What are your hopes for the future of education? Well, my hopes for the future of education are for supporting more people to get interested in being a part of the profession and for it to be recognized as a profession. One of my biggest frustrations, and this is even when I worked at NASA, some of the brightest minds in the entire world, uh, I think overall, the perception of teaching, there's a horrible saying out there that I just absolutely hate. Uh, Those who can do, those who can't teach, right? Oh, yeah. If you can't, do something, how can you teach it? In fact, the best way to learn a concept is to actually teach it to somebody else, right? Yes. Uh, 
research shows that's true. And that is the highest level of application you can have is to be able to take that concept, absorb it inside of you, and have it so fluently that you're able to teach it effectively to somebody else. That's the thing is terrible. And I think there's an overall perception amongst other professions that if you've been to school, you can do school. So I said in my speech at the Hall of Fame that there have been many times where I sat down on the floor with my kids, my own boys, and we built Lydell's. And we built lots. We built lots of buildings and kids being kids, they like to tear stuff up and they like to build it back up against. We would have fun throwing those bridges down or those those buildings that we built and start all over again, right? That's the basis of structural engineering. Not once did I ever walk out and say, I'm an engineer, give me the plans and let me build that. Let me build that building. There is nobody that would want me to build a building. I don't have the professional experience of how to do that other than playing Legos, but I've done Legos, right? Okay. But I don't call myself an engineer. I've, you know, bandaged knees, taken temperatures, diagnosed my own kids with different infections and things. Doesn't make me a doctor, right? I've done all of that. That doesn't make me a doctor. So please don't come into my environment and say, you know, I've been to school so I can do school. I can do the policy. I can, I can share the policy and we're going to do A, B, and C, and D in your school district, even though I've had no professional experience behind the theory, the philosophy, the application of what proper education is. I'm the one that has spent my life in the classroom and going to school through however many years it takes to go from bachelor's to doctorate. I've written the research papers. I'm the one that has had the experience with the kids, but yet you don't come and talk to me about it. There's something wrong. Okay. So my hope for the future of education, my moniker and my charge from the Hall of Fame is BT4. And I told everybody, no, that's not a new Korean group. That's that's not a K-pop group. It's bring teachers to the table. Okay. If you are going to apply a policy, bring active teachers in, sit down with them and talk to them and find out from them, do you think this is going to work? What aspects are going to work? What aspects will not work? Should we invest this money, this time in doing this particular activity? Don't hang over my head and tell me what I can and cannot do, should and should not do. You don't have the educational background in my profession that I do. I don't come to you and tell you how to do your law office. I don't come to you and tell you how to do your doctoring. I don't tell you how to fix my car. I have no experience, no. But please don't come and tell me how I should do things in my classroom. So my hope for education is that there is a level of respect that starts to rise from this point, because I think we're pretty near the bottom right now. There's nowhere near, you know, there's no way to go but up. Yep. But I don't say that to discourage any students that are in education right now. I say that because I think that as professionals, we need to band together and we need to stand up for our profession. And that includes the pre-service teachers, the ones that are in the classroom right now learning how to be teachers, all the way to us old folk that are looking at the sunset of our career. We need to band together as professionals. And we need to stand up for our profession because who we are speaking for, our kids need us to do so. 
Yes. Yes, they do. Thank you so much. Your passion shines right through, and I appreciate that very much. So, Thank you. Uh, as we wrap up our podcast, is there anything I didn't ask or something you'd like to share with our listeners that we didn't talk about? Well, you shared that you're going to share some hyperlinks to some of those resources I talked to you about. I, I encourage you to check out NASA's website as well. Okay. www.nasa.gov. They have a section for education. It's called STEM Engagement. It's the Office of STEM Engagement. They have a variety of, quote, free material from posters to lesson plans to activities to opportunities to engage NASA education experts to be a part of your classroom. I put free in quotes because actually we pay for it already with our tax dollars. <laughs> but, you know, free is a favorite word in teaching. And I've always said, if you can connect Anything in your classroom to space and dinosaurs, particularly for elementary students, you'll hook them. <laughs> so <laughs> there are writing activities, reading activities, science, engineering, mathematics activities that are all there. I've connected here at my school with astronauts, different scientists via distance, where we've had a whole auditorium full of students asking questions of these experts. These are fabulous chances for kids to connect to an agency that they all love already. And it's the second most world-known agency. If you show different logos, think of Polis first and that's the same. <laughs> <laughs> so across the world, everybody knows our space agency and and the material, you really do need to take advantage of it because it really does enrich your content. Awesome. Well, I will include a link there for that as well. And you have social media. Do you mind if our listeners follow you on social media? I would love it. And, you know, tell them to feel free to contact me on social media. If you have any questions or you want a sounding board, you know, this idea work or this loan, you know, and my answer to you, if those kinds of questions come about, were, will be more inquiry. Hadn't tried it yet, but if we're bound out, <laughs> I'll let you know what my experiences have been, but your experiences will be entirely different. But I really encourage young teachers to get in touch with me because I, I'm more than happy to share with you what I've done in my past because I want you to be successful because I love my, my profession. Awesome. That is so wonderful. Well, thank you for taking the time to be on the podcast. I hope you have a nice rest of your summer break and a great start to the school year this year. And I will thank you now. Thank you so much for the opportunity. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode and will subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. This podcast has been brought to you by the Teachers College at Emporia State University, featuring talks with experts and educators, addressing topics that can help you as an educator, a parent, and a person. We release new episodes every other Wednesday. You can get more information provided by our guests on our website, 
www.emporia.edu slash HWTT. We would appreciate it if you could help us spread the word about the podcast. You can follow us and share on Twitter with at HWTT underscore ESU. You can find us on Facebook. Just search for How We Teach This. If you would like to be a guest on our show or are willing to give us some feedback, please send us an email at hwtt at emporia.edu. I'm Christy Dugan, the executive producer. You've been listening to How We Teach This. Thank you.